0: Chapter eleven of Aunt Jo's Scrapbag Volume five This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by shona Vaughan. Aunt Jo's Scrap Bag Volume five by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter eleven Clams A Ghost Story I haven't a room in the house, Mom. ''But if you don't mind going down to the cottage and coming up here to your meals, I can accommodate you and will be glad to,'' said Mrs. Grant, in answer to my demand for board. ''Where is the cottage?'' And I looked about me, feeling ready to accept anything in the way of shelter, after the long, hot journey from broiling Boston to breezy York Harbour. ''Right down there, just a step, you see. It's all in order, and next week it will be full, for many folks prefer it because of the quiet.'' At the end of a precipitous path, which offered every facility for accidents of all sorts, from a sprained ankle to a broken neck, stood the cottage, a little white building with a pretty woodbine over the porch, gay flowers in the garden, and the blue Atlantic rolling up at the foot of the cliff. A regular cottage by the sea. It will suit me exactly if I can have that front-upper room. I don't mind being alone, so have my trunk taken down, please, and I'll get ready for tea. Said I, congratulating myself on my good luck alas how little i knew what a night of terror i was to pass in that picturesque abode an hour later refreshed by my tea and invigorated by the delicious coolness i plunged recklessly into the gaieties of the season and accepted two invitations for the evening one to a stroll on sunset hill the other to a clam bake on the beach the stroll came first and while my friend paused at one of the officially fragrant houses by the way to interview her washerwoman I went on to the hilltop, where a nautical old gentleman with a spyglass welcomed me with the amiable remark. Pretty likely place for a prospect. Entering into a conversation with this ancient mariner, I asked if he knew any legend or stories concerning the old houses all about us. Sights of em, but it ain't all as the old places as has the most stories concerning em. Why, that cottage down yonder ain't more'n fifty years old. And they say there's been a lot of ghosts seen there, owing to a man's killin' o himself in the back bedroom. "'What, that house at the end of the lane?' I asked with sudden interest. "'Just so. Nice place, but lonesome and dampish. Ghosts and toadstools is apt to locate in houses of that sort,' placidly responded the venerable Tar. "'The dampness scared me more than the goblins, for I never saw a ghost yet, but I had been haunted by rheumatism and found it a hard fiend to exercise. "'I've taken a room there, so I'm rather interested in knowing what company I'm to have.' "'Took a room, have you?' "'Well, I dare say you won't be troubled. "'Some folks have a knack of seeing spirits, "'but then again, some hasn't. "'My wife is uncommon powerful that way, "'but I ain't. "'My sight's dreadful poor for that sort of critter.' "'There was such a sly twinkle in the starboard eye "'of the old fellow as he spoke "'that I laughed outright and asked sociably, "'Has she ever seen the ghosts of the cottage? "'I think I have rather a knack that way "'and I'd like to know what to expect.' "'No, her sort is of wrappin' kind.' Down yonder, the only ghost i take much stock in is old Buzi Tuckers. He killed himself in the back bedroom, and some folks say they've heard him groan in their nights in a dripping sound. He bled to death, you know. It was kept quiet at the time and is forgotten now by all but a few old, ch- old chaps like me. Buzi was all as civil to the ladies, so I guess he won't bother you, ma'am. And the old fellow laughed. If he does, I'll let you know. And with that, I departed, for my friend called to me that the beach party was clamouring for our company in the delights of that festive hour i forgot the croaking of the ancient mariner for i was about to taste a clam for the first time in my life and it was a most absorbing moment perched about on the rocks like hungry penguins we watched the jovial cooks with breathless interest as they struggled with refractory frying-pans fish that stubbornly refused to brown steaming seaweed and hot stones a certain captivating little margie waited upon me so prettily that i should have been tempted to try a sea porcupine unskinned if she had offered it so irresistible was her chirping way of saying oh here's a perfectly lovely one do take him by his little black head and eat him quick so beguiled i indulged recklessly in clams served hot between two shells little dreaming what a price i was to pay for that marine banquet we kept up till late and then i was left at my own door by my friend who informed me that York was a very primitive, safe place, where people slept with unlocked doors and nothing ever went amiss on nights. I said nothing of the ghosts, being ashamed to own that I quaked a little at the idea of the back bedroom as I shut out the friendly faces and bolted myself in. A lamp and matches stood in the hall, and lighting the lamp I whisked up the stairs with suspicious rapidity, locked my door and retired to bed, firmly refusing to own even to myself that I had ever heard the name of Busy Tucker being very tired i soon fell asleep but fried potatoes and a dozen or two hot clams are not viands best fitted to ensure quiet repose so a fit of nightmare brought me to a realising sense of my indiscretion from a chaos of wild dreams was finally evolved a gigantic clam whose mission it was to devour me as i had devoured its relatives the sharp shells gaped before me and a solemn voice said take her by her little head and eat her quick retribution was at hand and with a despairing effort to escape by diving i bumped my head smartly against the wall and woke up feeling as if there were an earthquake under the bed collecting my scattered wits i tried to compose myself to slumber again but alas that fatal feast had murdered sleep and i vainly tried to lull my wakeful senses with the rustle of woodbine waves about the window and the breaking waves upon the beach in one of the pauses between the ebb and flow of the waves i heard a curious sound in the house A muffled sort of moan, coming at regular intervals. And, as I sat up to make out where it was, another sound caught my attentive ear. Drip. 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 Went something out in the hall, and in an instant the tale told me on Sunset Hill came back with unpleasant vividness. Nonsense. It's raining and the roof leaks, I said to myself, while a disagreeable thrill went through me and fancy, aided by indigestion, began to people the house with uncanny inmates. No rain had fallen for weeks, and peeping through my curtain I saw the big bright stars shining in a cloudless sky, so that explanation failed, and still the drip, drip, drip went on. Likewise the moaning, so distinctly now that it was evident the little back bedroom was next the chamber in which I was quaking at that identical moment. "'Someone is sleeping there,' I said. And then recollected that all the rooms were locked, and all the keys but mine in Mrs. Grant's pocket up at the house. Well, let the goblins enjoy themselves. I won't disturb them if they let me alone. Some of the ladies thought me brave to dare to sleep here, and it will never do to own that I was scared by a foolish story and an odd sound. So down I lay, and said the multiplication table industriously for several minutes, trying to turn a deaf ear to the outer world and curve my unruly thoughts. but it was a failure and when i found myself saying over and over four times twelve was twenty-four i gave up affecting courage and went in for a good honest scare as a cheerful subject for midnight meditation i kept thinking of B tucker in spite of every effort to abstain in vain i recalled the fact that the departed gentleman was always civil to the ladies i still was in mortal fear lest he might think it necessary to come and apologise in person for bothering me presently a clock struck three and i involuntarily gave a groan that beat the ghosts all hollow so full of anguish was i at the thought of several hours of weary waiting in such awesome suspense i was not sure at what time the daylight would appear and bitterly regretted not gathering useful information about sunrise tides and such things instead of listening to the foolish gossip of uncle peter on the hilltop under the window gave me a new sensation this was a start not a scare for the new visitor was a human foe, and I had little fear of such, being possessed of good lungs, strong arms, and a Roman dagger, near as big as a carving knife. That step broke the spell, and, creeping noiselessly to the window, I peeped out to see a dark figure coming up the stem of the tall tree close by, hand over hand, like a sailor or a monkey. Two can play at that game, my friend. You scare me, and I'll scare you and with an actual sense of relief in breaking the oppressive silence, I suddenly flung up the curtain, and, leaning out, brandished my dagger with what I intended to be an awe-inspiring speech, but, owing to the flutter of my breath, the effort ended in a curious mixture of howl and bray. A most effective sound, nevertheless, for the rascal dropped as if shot, and, with one upward glance at the white figure dimly seen in the starlight, fled as if a legion of goblins were at his heels. What next? thought I wondering whether tragedy or comedy would close this eventful night i sat and waited chilly but valiant while the weird sounds went on within and silence reigned without till the cheerful crow of the punctual cock-a-doo as margie called him announced the dawn and laid the ghosts a red glow in the east banished my last fear and wrapping the drapery of my couch about me i soon lay down to quiet slumber quite worn out the sun shining in my face waked me, a bell ringing spasmodically warned me to hurry, and a childish voice calling out, Breakfast is almost ready, Miss Wee,' assured me that sweet little spirits haunted the cottage as well as ghostly ones. As I left my room to join Margie, who was waiting in the porch, and looking like a rosy morning glory halfway up the woodbine trellis, I saw two things which caused me to feel that the horrors of the night were not all imaginary. Just outside the back bedroom door was a damp place, as if that part of the floor had been newly washed, and when, goaded by curiosity, I peeped through the keyhole of the haunted chamber, my eye distinctly saw an open razor lying on a dusty table. My vision was limited to that one object, but it was quite enough, and I went up the hill brooding darkly over the secret hidden in my breast. I longed to tell someone, but was ashamed, and when asked why so pale and absent-minded, I answered with a gloomy smile. It is the clams all day i hid my sufferings pretty well but as night approached and i thought of another lonely vigil in the haunted cottage my heart began to fail and when we sat telling stories in the dusk a brilliant idea came into my head i would relate my ghost story and rouse the curiosity of the listeners to such a pitch that some of them would offer to share my quarters in hopes of seeing the spirit of the restless tucker cheered by this delusive fancy when my turn came, I made a thrilling tale of the night's adventures, and having worked my audience up to a flattering state of excitement, paused for a pause. It came in a most unexpected form, however, for Mrs. Grant burst out laughing, and the two boys, Johnny and Joe, rolled off the piazza in convulsions of merriment. Much disgusted at this unseemly demonstration, I demanded the cause of it, and involuntarily joined in the general shout, when Mrs. Grant demolished my ghost by informing that busy Tucker lived, died in, and haunted, the tumble-down house at the other end of the lane. "'Then who or what made those mysterious noises?' I asked, relieved but rather nestled at the downfall of my romance. "'My brother Seth,' replied Mrs. Grant, still laughing. "'I thought you might be afraid to be there all alone, so he slipped into the bathroom and I forgot to tell you. He's a powerful snorer, and that's one of the awful sounds. The other was the dripping of salt water, for you wanted some, and the girl got it in a leaky pail.' "'Seth wiped up the slops when he came out early in the morning. "'I said nothing about the keyhole view of the harmless razor, "'but feeling that I did deserve some credit for my heroic reception of the burglar, "'I mildly asked if it was the custom in York for men as well as turkeys to roost in trees. "'An explosion from the boys extinguished my last hope of glory, "'for as soon as he could speak, Joe answered, unable to resist the joke, "'though telling it betrayed his own transgressions. "'Johnny planned out to be awful early and pick the last cherries off that tree.' I wanted to get ahead of him, so I sneaked down before light to humbuck him, for I was going a-fishing, and we have to be off by four. Did you get your cherries? I asked, bound to have some of the laugh on my side. Guess I didn't, grumbled Joe, rubbing his knees, while Johnny added with an exulting chuckle. He got a horrid scare and a right good scraping, for he didn't know anyone was down there. Couldn't go fishing either, he was so lame, and I had the cherries after all. Served him right, didn't it? No answer was necessary, for the two lads indulged in a friendly scuffle among the haycocks, while Mrs Grant went off to repeat the tale in the kitchen, whence the sound of a muffled roar soon assured me that Seth was enjoying the joke as well as the rest of us. Chapter eleven